This week's episode is brought to you by Jamie Carter and Philippe. If you would like to become one of our illustrious in-group supporters, please visit www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit, where for a mere five bucks, you not only get two high quality bonus stickers, but access to our extended episodes and our Discord server too, which is a black magic coven devoted to the worship of Dogecoin. On this week's episode, we discuss the rich hodgepodge of feminist, esoteric, and even conservative philosophy woven skillfully throughout Ridley Scott's horror movie classic, Alien. Famous for beginning a conversation about the monstrous feminine, abjection, and challenging gendered conventions in horror, we review these concepts in earnest and discover a depth worthy of the series' fame. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Too problem with it. If you piss down either. the hole, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, you can just piss down the hole. Piss is not like the most disgusting substance in the universe, really. No, it's, it's not. But it's still, like, I don't. I mean, I might know somebody who casually pisses in the bath, but they certainly don't talk about it. <laughs> you know, everybody pisses in the pool, though. No, I don't. That's rude. <laughs> I pissed in a fucking lake once on this church retreat. Even and if I you don't, away. the other people do. But that's chlorinated. And the chlorine's probably worse for you than the pee most of the time. So what about two of them together? It's really the old pee you gotta worry about. It's like at Burning Man, you've been peeing in the same bottle for like seven days, and it's been like heating up under the sun and like for seven days, and it's becoming more and more and more concentrated. That's the pace. Do you remember how you... How you said that piss was not a disgusting substance. It gets really disgusting under those it's conditions. Now a disgusting substance. Yeah, when it's fermented. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's bad. That's just ammonia, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know, at some point. Yes, it degrades into pneumo- ammonia. That's the final byproduct if it sits around. I could make a bomb with my urine. Oh, gross. Yeah, don't go Antifa on us now. Uh, I mean, have you ever just wanted to, like, hold a bomb or, like... <laughs> yeah, a real bomb, not a fucking bottle filled with pee, Well, weirdo. I mean, it would be kind of cool if I if just, I happened to be able to make a bomb out of my piss. That's just, what alchemists did. Light, okay, dude, just light a bottle of alcohol on fire and call it a day, okay? It wasn't phosphorus, I was wrong. I mean, I've done that before. I almost burnt down a, my house. <laughs> Isn't that expensive, though, to buy a whole bottle of liquor and just light it on fire? No, it was rubbing alcohol. The power went out, and I was 14 and bored, so I was just pouring little puddles of it into a candle and watching it burn up. Yeah. That sounds fun. And then the fucking, uh, I, I guess it must have aerated the fucking can because, like, it just caught the right angle, and I guess there was air in it, those vapors were rising off of it, and a fucking jet of fire over three feet long shot out of this bottle of rubbing alcohol. Shut the fuck up. And it caught the walls on fire and a fucking painting and like a piece of wooden furniture. Fuck. Awesome. So you did it again, right? Did what again? Like after that? Yeah. No, it was kind of traumatic. <laughs> I beat it out with a fucking uh, bed sheet. I think most people just beat it into their bed sheet. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Whole Rabbit, where we do more than just slither down your ear hole and impregnate your brain with our lepian mimetic cipher system. 
Nay, we writhe impatiently, leeching away nutrients and collecting your vital fluids internally, causing you much embarrassment in the bedroom before we suddenly burst out of your stomach in bloody hot pursuit of the xenomorph, which erupted moments before, because this week we're chasing down the dark, mysterious, encoded mysteries of Dan O'Brien and Ridley Scott's cinema horror movie masterpiece, Alien. I'm your host, the Hacking Rabbit. I'm joined this week, of course, by the Queen Canine, Mari Sama. The Death Lord of Dongles, Darth Dingus. That story I told? Uh, my grandmother went to her grave keeping that a secret. It's a world premiere. And the one and only, Melacor 5, previously known as Industrial Illusionist. Oh, oh. I, I got my flamethrower ready for this one. Is that a synchronicity? Your name is cool now. I'm in the club. You sound like a fucking Terminator. You sound like you went from initiate <laughs> wizard. I feel special. Am I the first one to go on out of the ship onto the new planet? Possibly. Yeah, but it's but it's Starship Troopers, and you get impaled by a bug immediately. I'll take it. Now, I had nightmares from researching this episode. I dreamed that I had a diaper on. And it was full of poo-poo, and I needed my mommy to change it. And I was so happy when I woke up and there was no poo-poo. Thank you for sharing that, Luke. Thank you for sharing that, Luke. How does that make you feel? A little embarrassed, honestly. I, 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 I felt so helpless. You, you remember what it was like being a kid and your pants are full of poo-poo? It's terrible. Yeah, it, it, like the feeling of not being able to help yourself and having to rely on somebody else. I mean, as a child, you like that, like it's comforting. But as you grow older, you realize, oh, I need to leave the nest. Like that's the natural progression is to become detested. Like that's it's disgusting to be reduced to that level again once you leave the nest. You know what I mean? Can you please just say shit? Shit. Does that make you happy? I don't. I I mean, I I, do you want it to? You told me to. I don't. I was just saying that. In exchange for the for poo poo or whatever, yeah, tomato tomato. If you were to de-intellectualize all of this heady stuff that's in our notes here, that's really what it comes down to. Basically, comes down to Mama wiping your your butt for you, or what? Yeah. Well, if you think about it, feces is a deterioration. Bacteria is consuming things and converting it into nutrients, right? So it's a natural process, and then it's. That fused with the mother figure or a a dark feminine. The reason Alien is interesting to me is because the aliens are very much based on a hive mind. The actual individuals aren't really individuals so much as that they're workers for the hive, right? Yeah. And uh, that's a very, uh, it's kind of a feminine quality for that because they're all working for the great queen or the great mother. Um, They're all working for her survival. So when you are like, it's the same thing as bacteria. Bacteria turns you into nutrients back so that Mother Earth can utilize it for plants and other things. So Mm -hmm. this natural cycle, I feel like Alien has this great way of, it makes it more, I don't know, the... In introducing an alien figure into the equation is very interesting because it's an analog for man versus nature. Yes. But however, they're portraying it as something that's foreign to nature or foreign to the planet Earth, which but in the same breath 
technically the alien queen, she is part of nature and she's just trying to eat something to make babies. Yes. The entire existence of something uh, of like a hive insect, like a like a bee or an ant is dependent on their queen. But the interesting thing about Alien is that they're all dependent on a ship that they call Mother, which has chosen a different cargo over them. That's so fascinating, too, is that even the humans, which seem to be an antithesis or a contrast to the vicious feminine alien. And yeah. so you're fi- it's it's man it's a masculine man versus nature. However, it's interesting that the explorers are attached to the mothership, quote unquote mother is the name of the computer and the cord what is it called an umbilicus? That's what connects the two ships that, together like the the transport ship for just the crew and then so, all the minerals serve so moving. they can come down Right. So the umbilicus is how the mothership feeds off of the planet that her younglings go and forage for her. So that is what this crew is for. It's very interesting how even the humans have, they have a more mechanical feminine, like a more masculine side of the femininity, the light side of femininity. But yes, the alien, the xenomorph and all that, that's the nature and the dark and the unpredictable and chaotic side of of femaleness. And I love that they portray the xenomorph with the black carapace because they have an exoskeleton. We have an endoskeleton, right? We have a spine, a spinal cord. They're connected to the hive mind in some way, but they have an exoskeleton like like a bug. And what are humans? We're inherently and subconsciously afraid of bugs because that means disease. I don't know. There's all these primal parts of this story. And for all those complicated reasons you just said, Mari, Alien has become a very important movie. When I watched it, it was pretty clear that it had informed Starcraft and what Metroid and so many other fictions that we take for granted today. And part of it's because it made such a strong impression on the human psyche. It caused a big conversation in second wave feminism because it relates to ideas of what they call the abject, which relate to the mother and relates to horror and blood and just everything you love and hate about horror movies. And to be fair, the literature gets a bit heady and hard to understand. But, you know, it's a it's a college essay uh, that was written like a college essay. So we spent like two days talking about it and really wriggling around in it and figuring out how we felt about it. And then I had a bunch of nightmares. And uh, long story short, Alien is a chaotic movie. It combines a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different creators. The original script was by Dan O'Brien while he was studying at the University of Southern California when he made a science fiction comedy called Dark Star with the help of director John Carpenter and concept artist Ron Cobb. This film features a small crew of astronauts and an alien made of a spray painted beach ball with rubber claws. O'Bannon, however, Couldn't get like the idea out of his head once it was over and decided he wanted to redo it, but with realistic special effects. But it's a horror movie instead of a comedy. He teamed up with Ronald Shusett, who was then working on an early draft of Total Recall and would later become an integral part of finishing the script. I just have to throw this out there. I fucking love John Carpenter. The Thing is one of my favorite fucking movies. 
A lot of big minds were involved in this project. Specifically, Dan O'Brien had a tantalizing gig with esotericist and filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky, the guy who did Holy Mountain, working on his infamous rendition of Dune, which would ultimately collapse, but it introduced O'Bannon to artists like Chris Foss, Gene Mobius, Gerard, and H.R. Geiger whose oh. sublimely beautiful and terrifying artwork would inspire the design of Alien itself. Until O'Bannon had been introduced to H.R. Geiger through Jodorowsky, he frankly didn't have any clear idea of what the bad guy was going to be for his film. Shusitz suggested adapting one of his older scripts about a World War II-era gremlin sneaking aboard a B-17 bomber, and the pair slowly decided that the chest-bursting alien was the most interesting way for their beast to sneak aboard the ship. The pair went around pitching it to studios as Jaws in Space, and eventually got picked up by a production company called Brandywine, which was associated with 20th Century Fox. All was not well, however, as the studio gave the script over to David Giller and Walter Hill, who trimmed much of the excess from the script and added the android subplot, which later Shusit admitted was one of the best parts of the film, despite an ensuing controversy over whether or not Hill and Giller were trying to take the script for themselves. Despite the fact that the final shooting script was written by Hill and Giller, the Writers Guild for America awarded O'Bannon sole credit for the screenplay. It's interesting to consider the Alien screenplay might not have been as good if not for Jordowski's failed film and a harrowing struggle over the direction of the script. I could I could oh. tell that it was tied between different people because there's a lot of different messages in the story. Yeah, and it really I think uh, I think uh Rabbit put it best when he said that it's it's chaotic. It really yeah. does have kind of a frantic pacing and it goes so many places and, and once the alien gets out Everybody starts dying. Yes. It takes maybe 30 minutes for them to get down to, to three people. It's intense. Killing frenzy. <laughs> Ultimately, O'Bannon succeeded in a method that he picked up from Alejandro Jodorowsky during their time preparing for Dune. Apparently, Jodorowsky would assemble all the lead designers on the film and have them all sit in one room hashing everything out and how it would all flow together before they would do anything. This was like his his method. He's like, all right, we're going to get everyone in the room and figure it out first before we do. And then so it has like a coherent feel or there's like a so O'Bannon was like, I'm going to copy that. And so he got like H.R. Geiger in the room and they're like, all right, tell me what your thoughts are. You know, like, what's your thing about your alien? Why is this scary? Like and they they really kind of thought about some of the deeper themes here, which they don't like they, they kind of hint at it in the Wikipedia. But if you keep reading, it becomes clear that they had uh, even though there was a lot of different voices involved they still got together to make a sort of a unified vision but like the end result's interesting because typically in left-leaning horror science fiction films the scientist is like the voice of reason but that's not the case here even though there's lots of other like leftist or feminist elements in the films it's in like all of them and not just alien one so it, it's a it's a hodgepodge of different uh perspectives and tropes but I think it adds to the final vision of the movie itself. It oddly does come together as kind of a, a cohesive statement in a way. One of the things that we actually ran into uh, when trying to parse out uh, the representation of what we call the dark feminine in this movie is that you really have to take into account uh, everything that happens in it and Ripley herself to understand what that manifestation is or, or how it appears, you know? 
or, or uh, to read into the symbolism. Like you have to have right, the light feminine it, to compare it against, you mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit like uh, the Cliffoth and the Kabbalah, how the Cliffoth doesn't really exist without the Kabbalah. Well, what, I love, what, uh, what I love, too, is that the dark feminine, the alien queen with her babies, the way that her babies manifest and become the, like an individual is by penetrating your chest. So and then also when they lay the eggs in you, they penetrate your mouth. There's all sorts of different ways that this feminine entity will penetrate a victim in order to manifest her brood. So in the dark feminine, she's all about penetrating and killing, which is that to me is an inversion of a feminine energy. Absolutely. In, in fact, what partially what made the film so interesting was, as O'Bannon said, the face hugger functions as payback for many horror films in which sexually vulnerable women are attacked by male monsters. Ah, and that's the thing, you're vulnerable through your mouth. Also, that monster takes away your your ability and your will to scream mm -hmm. or say no. So it removes your boundaries by attacking you at your mouth level because you, there's no way for you to say fuck you while you're dying. You know what I mean? So Alien achieves what was no small feat in that it made a male audience instantly empathetic with the usual threats rendered upon women in such a film and in real life. The threat of being forcefully yeah. penetrated, impregnated with a hostile alien consciousness that maims and destroys the body. And it is. It's the original impreg, like male impreg impregnation. The it's the concept of men being able to be hold the babies, like you know how like seahorses are. Only Mari. But but <laughs> it's just some kind of weird, freakish, alien, gorish, like aberration of that of the of pregnancy because the alien operates almost like a like a parasitic fly or not a fly a wasp that would lay its eggs in a fly or something it's very and biological then, and then when the babies hatch they eat the animal from the inside out like whatever insect they're laid in but to think that something could do that to human beings that's high enough on the food chain they're tapping into our instinct with this terror that they're portraying in this movie. Like that's inherently frightening. And it's interesting that they, everything about it is feminine, but the way that it aggresses us as predator and prey relationship, we are the females, no matter what our gender is as a human. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because they, they are straight the, and they, they're the, and they're the dominant predator species. And we, I mean, we can't even get into predator, which is like part of, their franchise as well but that's another alien species that it's like humans need to understand that we're not really the apex of the food chain if you take into account other planets and how we our planet could have an invasive species on it and we could very well become prey overnight interestingly i, I think humans in in order to even keep that place on the food chain are dependent on their technology but the xenomorph itself is some very high technology yes. and they're being they're being betrayed by their technology in this film as well every step of the way they're fighting with the ship the ai or the fucking robot oh yeah they are it's kind of like the ai sees like a reflection of itself and and it's like physical perfection versus yes. like this digital perfection that the ai is kind of cool well so they the both they're both mechanically focused on a goal okay so we might say that the light feminine symbolized by the nostromo and its crew 
has to struggle with its own mechanical drives and integrate them into something higher, whereas the alien, it just goes with its immediate drive. And that's why the android thinks it's in- it can relate to it, you know? It's like, oh, it's it's like me, a, a mechanical mind, you know, where... It's the hard drive, and then it knows what to do, and then it, it executes the command. Yep. And it's... It- and it, there's no happy or sad. Ripley is a protagonist meant for typical males to identify with. So she is a vessel for them to try to empathize with females. But she encounters the dark feminine. And I feel like women understand the dark feminine a little bit better than men. So having Ripley as a carrier makes the movie not only more mysterious, but your subconscious will understand it more with a female protagonist versus a male. Because, yes, because another thing, too, is that the, you know, humankind, humans, the humans have a ship called Mother and they have the umbilical cord. They are attached to this, like, this hyper, like, idealized feminine form of the robot or the AI. Those are hyper idealized forms of the feminine. Now, the real wild and chaotic feminine, the natural feminine would be the alien contrast. So they are coming into uh, conflict with nature. So it really is a man versus nature. And it's interesting, too, because humans are attached to the mothership. So this is also a euphemism for uh, man children or men that are overly attached or still dependent on their mothers as an adult. That's a good one. So the alien would be the feminine, the dark feminine that would be... uh, uh, a female that would come in and break his heart. In other words, bust through his chest. So that's a euphemism for heartbreak and how, you know how mommy would protect a man baby. And she's like, mommy doesn't ever want you to fall in love because she doesn't want you to have heartbreak. She doesn't want you to, you know, be sad. And that's what creates man children that are basically like incels, people who cause violence because they can't get laid because they have, they don't understand what a real female is. They've never been exposed to the alien, AKA a natural female, like a real female woman. Wipe my ass, please. Yeah. I mean, that's aliens going to eat fucking eviscerate your ass. But that's actually something I find interesting too, because uh, as far as I can tell now, that makes four feminine archetypes an alien as well. Something that I was talking about with yes. uh, with Rabbit during the um, during the research process was that Ripley is interesting because she's actually a very well written and complete character. She's well rounded. There are times where she asserts herself. You see parts of her personality. You see how she uh, she cares for the cat. You know. Um, yeah. You see her in terror, but you also see yeah. her exert vi- violence. Yeah. Well, she she calculate and also understand how to react to a threat. And I find that very admirable because it's very hard to overcome your initial sh- shock or terror. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's something that's interesting because the only other human woman in this movie is the worst fucking character. She's the reason Parker dies. She just stands in the way in between him and the alien at, with his flamethrower just standing there waiting to get burned because she's constantly terrified. All throughout the movie, she just cries and screams. Interestingly, the phallic tail is saved for her while the mouth tongue thing is saved for killing the males in the film. I really enjoy that, though. 
I like the inversion. I like how the dark feminine is inverting everything. And that's what makes it so alien to people. She isn't, as a woman, she's different than Ripley because she hasn't integrated violence. But the alien is a monster because it is only the dark feminine. It's a cartoon of something. It's just an exaggeration of a, of a I guess you could say a, a psychological, um, I don't want to say gestalt, a psychological concept. It's trying to plant the spawn. Now, what's that's best- a, that's prerogative. It's a computer just as much as the AI or the robot. They must plant the spawn. I mean, yeah, pretty much. That's all it does. So while we can sit here and decode the symbolism and go deeper and deeper, which we will, what I find so wonderful about horror is that your dummy can just show up to the theater and enjoy the film. But because, as quote, one of our Discord members, Hekka said, because even in toxic polarity, sex symbolism caters to the subconscious psyche, meaning that even Jope Schmope, who might even be toxically male, he can still gain a little piece of education just from enjoying Alien on a dumb level because it's going to inform his subconscious mind, which is what makes fiction so interesting and so worth talking about in an academic sense. Almost like you do encounter that threat. Your subconscious cannot tell the difference between fiction, movies, pictures. It can't tell the difference. So whatever you subject it to, you're going to be prepared for, for when it comes. And that's also a part of what dreams do. So if you like, if you are totally unaware of how toxic femininity works or how the dark feminine works, and you watch this movie, you might be more wary of crazy ass bitches that might want to kill your ass and or assault you. You know what I mean? Or your own mommy issues. Either one. Correct. It could remind could remind you of that, of like, oh, I need to detach from my mommy shit and do confront that scary monster, and I think I can handle it. I have to bring this up now. Oh. And what you said about the subconscious mind is really interesting because the xenomorph in Alien is also a product of H.R. Geiger's unconscious mind. H.R. Geiger would draw, like, make his um repulsive and intricate illustrations from his own nightmares he had dreams about the xenomorph before alien was ever even like a a twinkling in someone's eye his artwork looked like computer organic computers like they were alive and pumping with blood but they were perfectly oriented with shapes and geometry and but they had eyeballs and mouths and they were shiny like your guts would look. It, it it's so nice. I always, it's I always so called it organic mechanics. Yes. Really... Biomechanical. He's a oh, yeah, biomechanical, biomechanical artist. And you know what else is I mean, I'm sure this is inspired from it, but in StarCraft, the Zerg are very much like this. Metroid, they're, vi- Metroid. they're very Geiger-esque right. in that they adapt their DNA. And some of the individuals grow into buildings and they excrete this disgusting slime that coats the ground, but it makes it chitinous. So it coats the ground with this biofilm and then other other individuals can either uh, grow other parts of the colony on it or nest and make larvae. So... That's how their colonies would spread. But the actual bill themselves were individuals that had the DNA altered to where they would grow into this big shell. And then 
thing, things would happen inside of their bodies. Now that's, that's like how your like genetics. They, it, there was no building. It's so disgusting. But my HR Geiger fact. <laughs> but they were like a macro. Yeah, they're like macro uh, organs, right? They operate, but they look like bugs. So it's very Geiger esque, and they also have queens and such. Like their their hierarchy is very feminine based because they're like a bug species. They're like a hive mind like uh, ants or bees would be, where they all serve one queen, right? So you're specialized. Every single individual cannot survive on its own. It needs the swarm. It it has to, it's specialized. It, it, so existence depends on its own fate as a fucking- um, A servant. Insect. It's a slave. It's a slave. You're dependent. You're dependent on the hive. And that's what the, that's what the alien is to me. My HR Geiger fact. You want to know it? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So my father once found himself in H.R. Geiger's apartment somewhere near New Orleans, Louisiana. That's where he lived. It was somewhere oh. around there, Gulf of Mexico area. Oh. And um, he fucking he goes in, and of course, it's as weird as you fucking think. But the weirdest thing that you don't hear people talk about <laughs> is that he had canvases with a smear of blood. Each one just a small canvas with a like a just a, a streak of blood on it with somebody's name under each one hmm. and he, he he talked to the my dad talked to the bodyguard or you know just whoever was watching his apartment and uh the guy went it's not what you think and supposedly people might find themselves there and he would just give them a small cut smear their blood on a canvas hang it up in his house with their name he described it as like like reddish brown and flaky you know like like he was actually fucking clotted blood this sounds like what dexter would do he's hr geiger man <laughs> who fucking knows what he's up to even after death artist gonna art okay so that's it oh and every screw in each one of his illustrations he was said to have had a like imagined purpose for mm. 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 you mean yeah. in his paintings like when he would put yeah. like I, I always thought there were illustrations. I didn't know they were painted. Oh yeah. That's all you had back then. Okay, so what's next? Uh, hold on, I got it. Your mom. Oh. So the big idea is that from a larger perspective, alien and all sufficiently tantalizing horror has the capacity to allow the audience to indulge, reject, and possibly integrate unconscious motives within the self. After all. It was C.G. Young who said, One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So in short, we might say the darkness we want to make conscious is the stuff our ego rejects identification with for the sake of its own survival. This is, like, simple enough to understand, but when we give the idea of libido a fair chance, it comes into better focus. Prior to yes. the formation of an ego... As a little baby, we might be best understood as an extension of our mother and her body. Mother is our first comfort, pleasure, and anxiety as an authority figure prior to having the ability to self-reflect or be self-aware or use language. In order to grow beyond an infantile dependency, both physical and emotional, the organism must essentially separate itself from its mother, which the ego assists by way of disidentifying with the drives that would seek to reabsorb back into the undifferentiated state of mother. As such, 
the formation of the ego is built upon rejection of this first order of learning through the body and becomes hostile to its immediate desires and drives. It's like when you're at work and your friend is like doing something on the video game and your first like body feeling is like, you fuck everything else. I'm just going to watch my friend play this game. But you have like customers coming in the front door. And so there's like your body and your immediate like I want to do it right now is saying, I'm just going to pay attention to what feels good. And then there's like some other part of you that's like, no, bad. Stop it. You need to go deal with the thing. So this is a very uh, mechanical way that the psyche has demarcated itself just to survive with the flamethrower use the flamethrower so basically if you just use the flamethrower or peep and poop wherever you want and play with your genitals outside of uh your socially contrived context people end up being discarded by society right they become abject so our survival within a social and contrived structure is enforced through shame guilt, punishment, and otherwise moral judgment, who by trick of association we might call the patriarchy or man's law, as opposed to mother nature's law, the one that we learned first when we just had a body without an ego. My whole life is arson and coming. Oh, okay, I gotta step out of this conversation. The period of the mapping of the self's clean and proper body is characterized by the exercise of authority without guilt, a time when there is a, quote, fusion between mother and nature. However, the symbolic eternal laws ushers in a totally different universe of socially signifying performances where embarrassment, shame, guilt, desire come to play, the order of the phallus. Now, I got a ticket once for public urination. For some reason, the police officer felt a need to legally enforce through economic punishment that my penis, the piss coming out of it, the earth and everybody watching was in fact discrete separate entities that did not belong together in the same instance, which clearly physics and biology had not only permitted but ordained. After all, I was in Isla Vista surrounded by folks who were also desperate to get drunk, pee, and vomit on themselves as they did when they were suckling at their mother's teeth the moment parental authority became absent. Now, abjection. This is a really interesting word, and you can think of it, uh, you may have typically heard it in the term abject terror. Well, the term abjection literally means the state of being cast off. If you were to look up the definition of abject, you may also see that it comes from an old word meaning rejected, fear of the rejected, all right? Um, the term has been explored in post-structuralism as that which inherently disturbs the conventional identity and uh, cultural concepts. In short, the demarcation of the ego and its repressed identifications extrapolated out into the social sphere, creating needless suffering. So like literally a pure shadow. Yeah, just the things that uh, the things that can't be dealt with. If you were to encounter something so terrifying, it was surreal. You could call that abject terror. Or an aberration, something that you can't, you don't know what's going on. Like something with three mouths and a sharp tail. Now, because of this whole mommy biology thing, there's some practical reasons for the gendered associations between what is acceptable and what is, quote, abject. But upon further inspection, we find women, femininity, and the marginalized getting the short end of the stick because of intellectual impotence regarding this exact psychological mechanism. Basically, mom teaches through body drives with the ego much separate from to exist, 
and thus things we disidentify with end up categorized with mommy and all those things. Our Source, The Monstrous Feminine by Barbara Creed summarizes and extrapolates on the idea of abjection in storytelling, specifically horror. Much quotation is made of Julia Kristeva's influential 1980 essay, Powers of Horror, an essay on abjection which popularized this terminology as a key to exploring Freudian ideas of libido, how it pertains to the feminine and marginalized in our cultural mythologies. Now, even for an insufferable nerd like myself who took upper division university courses in this exact subject, I found the verbiage in these essays to be a bit elevated, but I think I get the gist of what they're aiming at, and it dovetails perfectly with all the discussions we've had about the repressed feminine, the misunderstood libido, and some of the finest horror yet made. So, we've already discussed that the name of the AI computer aboard the Nostromo is called Mother. So, I think it's fair to say that there is some Freudian stuff there at play. Now, and she does, she does control their life support and all their food. Like, they, she dispenses their food. And it's really funny because in the beginning, there's a scene where they're sitting around the food table and they're bantering like much like children would, like in Leave it to Beaver when the mother's cooking breakfast. Precisely. And the not present, yeah. My favorite Leave it to Beaver episode is the one where the alien pops out of the kid's chest. And I know, right? Into the fucking AC duct. So good. <laughs> All-time classic. <laughs> he turns himself into a... But it does. It bastardizes the relationships we have because the even Mother, the AI, and the robot the attendant, the uh, android, they're artificial attendants to the humans. They're not... The humans are attached to them as if they are parental figures, but they're not, there's no blood relation to them. So they're completely, the concept of blood and genetics would be completely foreign to these type of humans. And that's what makes the aliens is very interesting because whatever prey it lays its eggs in, the whatever comes out of it, like the xenomorph is based on human DNA. So it's very interesting that much like uh, we were going to talk about StarCraft, much like the Zerg in StarCraft, whatever prey they devour when they reproduce, uh, they extract the DNA and create a new a new form. But it's essentially the same DNA in the same hive mind controlling that body. Right. So, so for a male trying to understand it from the woman's perspective, that's like seeing your own genetics. Like if you are a victim of a, a, a violent sexual assault against your consent and you're impregnated, that's yeah. essentially like something consuming your DNA. And you in like you could even start to see your own offspring as like a, right. you know, a, 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 a Hmm. It's they're like weaponized like, against you. They're yeah. weaponized against you, you know? And they're they're you know how uh in natural in a natural life-giving way that when you make your offspring, they they give you more life because you've made more life, right? There are a multipli there are a multiplicity of life. Whereas when the alien takes you and makes life, it's it's a subtraction of life. So the the shadow feminine or it would takes it do, over. It takes it over. Right. This right. Is and this is this is a really cool example of how uh, even wives can use their offspring against their husbands or the divorcees or the baby daddy you know, to, to exploit money or sympathy from the court or people around them to get their way, to get their will. 
So it's like the queen controlling the offspring in order to manipulate the host, which is the male. Like you see this, like this is toxic femininity. So I want people to understand that that actually exists as well as mas- toxic masculinity. Which is kind of represented in the film as the, what, the vagina detanta, the figure of the vagina with teeth, which is this idea of like, you know, you you go in like, like vital and courageous, but you kind of leave a little bit reduced, a little, you know, you, you're, you're missing some of your will now. You, you've given some of your will to oh, the I, woman, like she yeah. has some of your control, like she can control you now. So it kind of, it can go both ways in the same way that the, you know, the, the oppressive rapist male can dominate uh, his victim's DNA and impregnate in the same way a male who is seduced can have his seed be taken over and and co-opted as a weapon, like the same way the xenomorph is a weapon. Right. It's totally a perfect example of how femininity can also be deadly and negative. And the alien nature of pregnancy itself like you're a host to an alien form like the baby has a new dna that's never been seen so it's a new life form right under the best of conditions yeah and you have to host it you know and you're forced to do that but at the same time it's not it's not really uh it gives back to you because our babies are a carrier of the dna and i feel like the feminine understands that because genes and heritage are actually passed through feminine lines because mitochondria are carried in eggs and sperm do not ha- like sperm do not carry a, a mitochondrial dna that's the y chromosome does not have a mitochondria in it which the females do they trace your lineage through your mothers and so that's that's another thing is that's why that's why you have females adopt the male name. That's basically the trade-off that we have that because women control the flow of the genetics, basically. I feel like it takes us back to incels in a weird way. It's interesting, too, though, because on uh, in the other movies, um, depending on the organism that the facehugger, like, attach itself to yeah the resulting xenomorph is a different shape or has different abilities than a human xenomorph if i'm making sense exactly so it does take the dna yeah and you if have you, the Todd mcfarlane toys and if there is a predator out there who's going out and impregnating women he's sort of doing the same thing diversifying yeah. the genetics to ensure survival yeah in a manner of speaking now, Malachor, didn't you mention that the ship that the crew takes down to the planet was originally painted differently? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It was going to be some yellow gold fucking thing. And the whole crew painted it the way they were told to. And then when they started filming, the director was just like, nah, looks like crap. We got to do this over. I think they may have done that because mother wakes them up out of their sleep. She does it a little too early. Which is something that classically anyone who's uh, been woken up by their mom's like, oh, five more minutes, you know. But in this case, there's no appeal. She just opens up the thing on you. She does wake you up gently, you know. She turns on the light, feeds you. But then for what? For what? 
to send you to school, which is essentially what the crew is. It comes to learn. They're like, wait, 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 we're not even home yet. What? Why did we get woken up? It's like, well, because mother said, uh, you know, if we get the, a weird signal, we got to go investigate it. Right. And they're like, uh, they're like, why? You know, it's the same reason a kid like, why do I got to go to school, mom? And then it takes the bus down to this like hostile alien place where there's all these dangers and worst fucking episode of the magic school bus. Everybody is Arnold this time. (laughs) I should have stayed home today. (laughs) Oh, that's that's fucking beautiful. (laughs) And the creepiest part for me is when they're walking the mile they have to go to the alien ship. It comes out of the darkness and it's just it's it creeped me out. But the best interpretation I could come to is that it looked like a pair of legs spread open and it, it looked like feet or high heels on the ends of them to suggest that anatomy heels up. And it's really wet and steamy up in there in that sh- derelict ship. Dang. It actually like really reminded me like when I this it's I guess it's not terribly related. But when I saw the fucking design of the alien ship, I was like, holy shit, that's Metroid. That's what all of the yeah. games look like. Yeah, and then I like I was researching this too, and a lot of games in the late eighties and the early nineties for some reason looked like organic alien stuff. And I think it was half of the way that the games were constructed, it looked cooler than just putting a square wall. Yeah. And I then know. but then there was like Alien when did Alien come out? Wasn't it like the 70s? It's like it was already 70, popular then. 79. 70s. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so it was already popular with kids then. They were like, "Yeah, Alien's cool." And then I found out cuz I was researching Echo the Dolphin cuz the uh the yeah, alien the, the vor again. the vortex that that eats all of the life forms on Earth. Um it has a queen. They all look like kind of like xenomorphs and they're what? like chitinous bugs, but I I looked it I up. Might- the the, the creator claims that it wasn't based on Alien, but I beg to differ. Um, and then I found out that there were like basically tens of games during that time that were made that at the final stage, like when you got to the end stage, it was like, oh, my God, it was aliens the whole time. <laughs> like Contra. Like, yeah, every game like was that era was made that way. So like there was no real way I could link that game to it because it was just an aesthetic choice because it was a nice contrast to like oceanic things. And like the ocean is feminine and echo. And yeah, the machine and the fucking bug people are, are very feminine. But I mean, alien totally tr- trumps it all with the with the representation. The, I mean, the, the symbolism in this is just like the, everything else I feel like is kind of a ripoff, except Starcraft. I feel like Starcraft is something that we should really talk about. Because there's a brood mother. Yes. And and the leadership, like the the brood itself, like everything is feminine because everything, everything can turn into something else. And it can also turn into something that lays eggs. So everything is pretty much by by default. If you have a species that reproduces by replicating DNA, it's asexual, which would mean it's feminine by default or it's hermaphroditic. I can't believe I was cut off when I had the echo on. Do it. No. Give me a fucking quarter first. What do you even want to talk about echo for? Who are the female Protoss? How, why, how do, how does this show go to echo the dolphin twice in a row? 
I was saying I was trying to relate it to this show, but I feel like it was just kind of like an aesthetic choice. Do the Protoss have ladies? Guys, we still need a Sonic joke this episode. I don't think the Protoss have girls. They do. They do? Yes. You just can't tell by looking at their faces. They can feel each other. They like they don't talk to each other. They talk in your brain. So you could just walk up to someone and kind of feel their energy and be like, oh, you're a dude. You don't have to look at them. Well, it seems interesting. Like the Protoss almost seem all male. And then if you're making the argument that the Zerg are all female, well, that's sort of interesting, isn't it? Well, it's a nice contrast. But the, yes, the Protoss by default are more masculine looking. But they do they do reproduce sexually, whereas the Zerg reproduce asexually or like uh, they have one female that will produce a shit ton of eggs and everyone else will take care of it. I, I kind of thought that that was just going to end at one female who will, will produce a shit. A shit ton of eggs. No, I mean, either or really. That was like in oh, the late 90s shit. where it was like it was super popular for like uh, a female protagonist to be like impregnated or corrupted by aliens. And then the, she shits out a baby that's like half human, half alien and it's evil and stuff. So it was like a trope then. That reminds me you know, of something, something interesting about Ripley. Yeah. Ripley has a daughter. Oh. And in the second movie, when Ripley wakes up out of uh, out of cryo sleep, the daughter has already lived and died. But I find it interesting that Ripley also happens to be a mother. It's like she 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 still remains one of the most um, one of the most well-rounded and complete female protagonists of any movie I've seen. You know, especially like recently, it seems like they just kind of shoehorn a female protagonist in without actually writing for it. That's really cool about Metroid because the whole time you're looking at this like 8-bit mechanical thing and at the end of the game takes off the helmet and it's a fucking woman and it's like a really good ode to how Ripley is an icon. She's an icon. Yeah, I was shocked to uh, to learn that that apparently made a few people mad back then too. Oh yeah, they were pissed because that was a badass character with a really badass game going with it and they they couldn't I can't believe I liked a girl. And what does Ripley get so much shit for in the movie? Not wanting to let the guy back. She said no. She said, no, you can't come inside. And that might be if you had to just put it all in a bow, be the most important thing about the divine feminine is saying, no, you can't come inside and having autonomy over yourself and deciding what goes in your body, essentially. And they denied her that. And what happened? Everybody died except her. She got to keep the cat. The end. Thank you, everybody. And if you'd like to hear us talk a little bit more about Alien, some more about the Divine Feminine, the Dark Feminine, Toxic Masculinity, Womb Fear, and of course, the Tarot, please go to www.patreon.com slash the whole rabbit where for five bucks you can get all the extended shows stickers and access to our discord server where you can chit chat with us uh all day long come learn more about vagina dentata thank you everybody eat carrots and shoot lasers